Welcome to Hometown Alaska. I'm your host, Kathleen McCoy. Today, we're talking with members of the Anchorage Log Cabin Quilters Guild. Why a guild, you ask? It sounds like craftsmen and artisans from the Middle Ages. Well, we'll find out. And we'll hear about their upcoming quilt show September 17th and 18th at a new location and after a two-year absence. So listen up for those details. But perhaps most importantly, we'll find out from these quilters what inspires them, how many quilts they work on at a time, where their ideas come from, as well as the benefits of belonging to the guild. What do they get out of it? Can a beginner join? What kind of quilts do they make? What do they do with all those quilts? There's a lot to cover, so let's get started. Uh, today's program is pre-recorded for scheduling reasons, so we won't be taking calls, but now let's get right to our guests. Okay, we have four quilters on the show today, and we're going to interview two at a time, just because that's an easier way to do it. Um, I'm going to first welcome Peggy Brewer. Welcome to Hometown Alaska, Peggy. Thank you. And I'd like to welcome Pat Sims. Welcome, Pat. Thank you. Now, these two are uh, leaders of the Guild, either historically or today. Peggy is the president of the Guild, and Pat was one of the charter members of the Guild. Yes, I was. So I want to dispense with that Guild question right off the bat. And who wants to answer it, Pat or, or Peggy? Okay, we're pointing to Pat. <laughs> Pat, what is the deal with Guild? I mean, it sort of sounds... Formal? Is there a reason why it's a guild, or it's just always been that way? It's always been that way. We just had to come up with a name when we started getting more organized. When we first met, it was really casual. No, no name for the club. No name. Yeah. Quilters. Yeah. <laughs> and things just evolved over the years. Yeah. Do people ask that question, or it's not even important? People don't even care? No. Nobody asks that I, question. I think people just know that or assume that. Yes. For me, it meant artisans, craftspeople. I thought maybe that's where it generated from. But anyway, let's see. And I know it's 43 years old. I'm looking at Pat here. Pat, could you just tell us a little bit about how it got started? Uh, there were three women who were interested in quilting, and they put a notice in the paper that they'd be meeting at a church with quilts to show. I saw the notice, and I went, and I thought, this is something I want to do. And this was back in, I think, 1979? Yes, so that's awesome. And it's gone on, you know, I mean, there's been so many changes in Anchorage. Now you have a Facebook page, you know, you've got a blog. I mean, there's the, those things didn't exist in the beginning. Indeed. Yeah. So now, Peggy, back to you. You, you. you joined when? When you retired? I joined when I retired, and I retired in April of 2011. Um, I sewed for a long time. I uh, first learned uh, taking a home economic class in high school. Let's hear it for home economic class. <laughs> I know. I don't even know if they do that anymore. I think they should. Yeah, they should. Uh, and so my first sewing was clothes, although I wasn't really good uh, necessarily at it, but it was cheaper to make clothes back then. We didn't have a lot of money. And in fact, I made my first wedding dress. Oh, my goodness. Although Congratulations. It wasn't that good either. <laughs> Well, it did the job, right? It, it did the job. Got me through it. But were were you, you know, you knew how to sew, but the piecing of quilts seems complex. Was it daunting to you in the beginning? Well, it, it was. Um, the first quilt I ever made was in 1979. And I remember that because my mom had just gone through uh, breast cancer surgery. I had a double mastectomy and a neighbor lady was uh, trying to get her out and about and keep her occupied. And so they decided that, uh, this neighbor lady decided that my mother needed to make a quilt. <laughs> and so the quilt that they made was a log cabin quilt uh, from Quilt in a Day by Eleanor Burns. And a lot of folks out there, if they're quilters, they'll recognize her. 
And so I watched them go through that process and pick the colors and how they did it, and it fascinated me. And I thought I wanted to do that too. So my first quilt then was a log cabin quilt, and it was a full-size quilt, and I gave it to a friend who was getting married. So, Do you remember how long it took you to make that quilt? Oh, gosh, no, I don't. Well, it probably took me a few weeks to a month Just or a so. few weeks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking maybe a year. <laughs> Full size and all. Well, no. <laughs> well, probably wasn't that good either. But back then, we didn't quilt using long arm quilters and fancy quilting. We tied them. And so that was a lot faster. And that means... I mean, let's tell people what a quilt is. It's it's layers of fabric, right? Yeah, you have a back uh, on your quilt. You have a batting or some kind of filling, filling. in the middle. And then you have a top, and that's usually where you piece or you make your design yeah. on the top. And then somehow you have to make those stay together uh, uh, other than just your outside perimeter right. seam. And that's where you either, you called it tying, yeah. or now they have machines with long arms that can put a pad. You can, oh. I think, even com feed a computer program that gives a pattern to the backing. Right. A lot of them can be, you know, all over. Pattern is what you'd call it. It's just a fancy quilting, computerized, but very beautiful. Or it can be more custom where you do something different in every block or every corner or every square. Mm -hmm. so. There's a lot of different kind of quilts. You mentioned the log, log cabin quilt. That's a very, I mean, people would recognize a log cabin quilt if they saw it. They would recognize it, although there's lots of variations these days, because when you talk about, you know, the meaning of the guild and that it's, you think of it as art, artisans or those, well, quilters are artists as well. It wasn't always accepted that they were, but more and more, it's an art form. Uh, so I think that as that evolves, then you'll see lots of variations in the old traditional patterns right. of which log cabin was. Right. And a log cabin quilt has a center square, which represents the hearth of the home. So the log cabin, and then it's, and then built around it is um, layers of fabric or strips of fabric or, or yeah. some kind of shape of fabric that kind of build what you'd think of as your building blocks for your log cabin. Now, in the years that have gone on, you've built, you've, you've made, sewed many different kinds of quilts. Yes. You And, and I, can you just maybe give us a feel for the different types that you've done? Do they have names that people would recognize? A lot of them do have names. I don't know if I'd remember all the names, um, but... When I started, I would say that I started, uh, I'd see a picture of something I wanted to do, or I'd see a pattern. And so I would say, oh, I want to do that. And I would sort of follow the pattern religiously, if you will. And sometimes I even copied the colors because I didn't know. Um, maybe what caught my eye was the color, not so much the pattern. But as I evolved in my quilting, now I can kind of look at things and say, oh, I would do this different, you know, mm -hmm. or I would... You know, and I think that's then where some of the art comes in. The evolution of your of mm -hmm. your eye and mm -hmm. your sensibilities. Mm -hmm. Pat, let's go to you. Tell us about your first quilt. I made that for my first child. I started it when I was pregnant. People where I worked gave me fabric, so I had a wild variety of fabric that I would never put together now, including a hundred percent wool. Then that then got washed repeatedly, so it's little bunch squares. I just made a simple uh, repeat pattern of small squares, and I also tied it. I was living in Juneau at the time, and there were no fabric stores there, so I ordered a pre-quilted 
flannel backing from the Sears catalog and put that on the back and then tied it. You know, back in the day in 79, were there quilt stores? How did you get your fabric? Regular fabric stores carried a variety of fabric. Now there are specialty stores, as you mentioned, quilt quilt stores. Mm-hmm. So, but back you just there were just fabric stores. Right. And people were making clothes, so they'd be yes. going there to get. So, but and you found enough variety. Yes, because these wonderful women I worked with, there was a woman who square danced and made all her own clothes for that, plus her husband's shirts, and people were making clothes back then. So, mm-hmm. right, I had polyester. Everything you can think of. Mm-hmm. You know, I tried to Google, okay, the history of quilting. And I, I'm not going to relay the history of quilting here. That's too much. <laughs> but it does go way back. And then in the U.S., there was quite a, a history of it around the Civil War era. Um, it, I mean, uh, homesteaders, people needed something to cover a bed with. But then eventually, you know, it became not just to cover a bed, but maybe to hang on a wall or to be a piece of art. I, anything you guys want to add f- about the history that strikes you? I think there are two camps on that. The one camp that They were made, in this country at least, for necessity to cover a bed. But other people say that they were always made as a beautiful object to show. So uh, I was in Tibet many years ago visiting a temple in Lhasa. Mm. And as I crossed the entranceway and looked up, uh, two stories high was a peace silk banner in a log cabin pattern. So... That was pretty amazing. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty stunning. Let's see. How about this notion of beginners being intimidated by the process? Um, who can jump in and talk? How, how do you, I know you are open to beginners. I read it on your website, but how do you bring someone in? And who, Peggy, Pat, who, who feels? Um, most quilter, most people that come to the guild as new potential members have some background of sewing. Do you agree with that, Peggy? I would say they've had some exposure to it or some background in some kind of sewing. That's true. Uh, and then part of the reason, part of our charter, and when we were incorporated, uh, was education and to teach the community as well as our own members about quilting. And so I think that's always been in the forefront of our mind. And so we welcome people to teach them so they can learn. And um, so it's nice to have beginners, and then there's lots of experienced people in the guild, and they really thrive on showing and teaching. You get this experience and, and this new energy coming together. Mm-hmm. I want to mention your your show, mm-hmm. uh, the Great Alaska Quilt Show, which we haven't had for two years, I guess because of COVID. Was that right? Yes. Um, yes. So we, you're going to have it again on September 17 and 18 in a new location. Peggy, tell us about that. Yeah, it's the United Methodist Church on 9th Avenue, and it's uh, across uh, the street um, also from Phillips, where we used to have our quilt show. So it'll be in the neighborhood. We'll have up banners and uh, a lot of good signage so people can find us. We have um, over a hundred quilts that um, our membership has made uh, that will be on display. We'll have a small quilt auction. Um, Which means the quilts are small. They're small. They're um, Typically, uh, 30 inches fit within a 30-inch square. They can be any shape, but they'll, they would fit, you know, be smaller like that. And it'll be a silent auction, and that'll go on all weekend until the end, and then we'll uh, 
close it out and and uh, and then there's also one quilt that you can buy a raffle ticket for right we have a, we always have a raffle ticket and we've been uh, raffle quilt and we've been selling tickets uh and then you can also buy them at the show and it'll be on display there and it is a Fabulous and beautiful quilt. It is gorgeous. It's actually on our, our Alaska Public Media site for Hometown. Oh, I put that picture you. Thank there. Thank you. Just because it is quite attractive and mm -hmm. interesting just to look at, you know. So anyway, that people can bid on that. What do you do with the money that you get? Do you, does the guild, you don't have any paying members. You, what, what do you do? Well, we do, we do pay, we uh, do have dues. That's right. You do have dues. $25 a year, so it's relatively in, inexpensive. And... Um, we use that money for education, so it goes back into classes that we may uh, have or hold for uh, for our members or for the public, um, and then uh, supplies for making all of the quilts that we make that we donate every year. Seed money for the retreat. Right, you have an annual retreat of a couple days, right? Correct. And is that just a time to sew like crazy, or do you actually have business <laughs> meetings? What's it like? No, it's just a time to get together and to, it's like an old-fashioned sewing bee, except you don't have to go home and you don't have to cook for yourself. <laughs> you just come and they just cook for you and... You just have to show up and sew. You can sew all night in your pajamas if you want to. Uh -huh. It sort of speaks to the role that women have always played, which is they are the center of the hearth and the home. And so they are doing the cooking and they are doing the sewing of the clothes and all of that. And this is a this step away from that, a break from that. So you can just follow your passion for what is it, three days yeah. or something like that? A lot of very good camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I imagine, you know, uh, that you see each other through some difficult times since you know each other, of some course. maybe more than others, but you, you and you are um, almost a support for one another. Would you say so, Pat? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I do want to say that new members can join at the quilt show or renew your membership. So if you get enthralled with becoming a quilter or more of a quilter, please join the guild. Mm -hmm. How many people do you have? Oh, we have about 150 to 160, yeah. I think, at the moment. And I uh, should say when our meetings are, maybe. Oh, yes. You know, I was amazed at how many meetings you have. I took this off your web page. Yeah. And it's like every week you meet. Just about every week. Uh -huh. um, we are the first Thursday. Typically, we meet on Thursdays, but not always. Um, <laughs> our first Thursday is a business meeting. So we conduct the, the business of the guild and any and does that take a long time? Yeah, it takes about an hour, hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And then we have show and tell, and then we might have some cupcakes and celebrate birthdays. Always something fun. Oh, you got to have social, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and so the time frame for the meeting is two hours, but often it's not that long. Uh, and then uh, the third Thursday is what we call a program meeting, and there's usually some educational aspect to that. Maybe there'll be a, a technique or a teacher or a lecturer or something that's more educational and just fun, as well as social and show and tell, because quilters like show and tell. We like to show what we've done and see what other people have done. Mm -hmm. And the fourth um, Thursday is just a get together to sit and sew and work on whatever you want and socialize. Mm -hmm. And if there's a fifth Thursday in a month, then we have what we call a comfort quilt day, and it's a workshop day. And that's where we can all get together and work on quilts that are going to be donated to the community. And we donate a lot of quilts to the community every year. Uh, and then because we are, there are some uh, of our members that are still working and we want new members that are younger, uh, well, we want anybody who wants to join, 
Uh, we have a uh, meeting on Saturday. It's the second Saturday of every month. Okay. And so uh, folks who maybe can't come during the day or during the week you might come, come on down. Saturday. And you always meet at the same place, right? Yes. We always meet at Central Lutheran Church on 15th and um, Cordova. Cordova, thank you. Right. So all of your, even your Saturday meeting yes. and, and your business and program, all in the same location. So you only have to know one location. That's right. Okay. Um, <laughs> then we have smaller groups within the guild. I read about, tell, tell me about that, Pat. There's uh, four or five, six. Some people focus on clothing. Quilted I'm, clothing. Quilted clothing. Uh, I'm in a group called OTB, which is outside the box. We're interested in more contemporary design your own work. Uh, there's a group that gets together and they make, they pick a theme every year and they uh, have their little quilts photographed and produce a calendar. Oh, that's sweet. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's, I can't think of, I know there are several other so, small yeah, groups. There's room yeah. in, within the guild for these little yes. side projects. Yeah. yeah. There's the Dare to Wear, which does more of the clothing and Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, the outside the box, there's the calendar girls that do the uh, the challenge every year and turn it into a calendar. There's a kept in stitches group, which was focused a lot on um, learning new techniques or new methods or new quilts or new patterns and that sort of yeah. um, thing. Yeah. And there may be others, but I can't think of what they are right now. You know, I want to ask you just a little bit about quilts that are not traditional, but are, and Pat, I think you said you're, you're out of the box, maybe was looking at this. I remember seeing a special on PBS of a young black artist, a man who was making quilts, really, really different kind of quilts. They were more like a painting. So, you know, is that the direction that out of the box goes in? They, they want to make a picture they're not some doing of, a pattern. Some of us. Uh -huh. uh, we're going to have a piece in the show uh, this coming weekend where uh, we selected a photo that one of our members uh, took down in Seldovia, and we cut it into sections. And we handed out the sections, and we recreated it in fabric, any technique, any style. And we got together earlier this week and put all the pieces together. And we're going to hang it in the show. So that's, that's really cool. That's so fun. that's a different idea, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, I saw something on your website that fascinated me. It was seemed like it was a centennial project, perhaps. It was anchored through the decades. Do you know what I'm talking yes. about? It was a really cool. And you could go by 10-year pe periods, and there was a quilt or a hanging for each one. And it was really cool. Does anybody have the history and background of that? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about it, Peggy. Yeah, I was on the committee for that, and it was the uh, the year of Anchorage's centennial. And we came up with the plan for, um, we would try to break down Anchorage's history into 10 decades. And we called it 10 Decades and Counting. And so um, we went to the museum or varying places, and we found a photo of Anchorage um, or something about Anchorage that was from that decade. And we had them printed on these uh, long banners, about eight foot long, and we put them at the top of what we call a quilt rack. And then we challenged the membership to come up with um, quilts from whichever decade they want or any, any decade or multiple decades and submit those quilts. Um, and we picked three or four people from the community to 
to, I won't really call it judge them, but evaluate them for diversity and come up with a good combination of which one should get displayed. Ah, okay. Uh, and, and that was a feature of our quilt show that year. It was, it's really remarkable. I'm so glad you kept it on your website because it's yeah. really a fun thing mm -hmm. to visit. It really is. And then I think when Anchorage had an event at the park strip or something, we set up a tent and we displayed that, that quilt, uh, display yeah. again then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was quite fun and it was unique and we got a lot of good feedback from yeah. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It did, it did seem like you had printed photographs on fabric. Is that right? For it, the, for the banners, for yeah. the banner, mm -hmm. so you, you can see Anchorage as it changes through the decades. Yes. You know, um, it's so you if you're all talking about this on the radio and no one can see it, so you can see it if you go to the Anchorage Log Cabin Quilters blogspot blog site, and you've got a nice uh, navigation bar at the top. It's mm -hmm. easy to navigate around and see some of your projects, and that's how I found it. So, right. and there'll be information on there um, also for the quilt show this coming weekend on the 17th and 18th. And it'll have the times of the quilt show as well. And I believe there's a picture out there of the raffle quilt that's just fabulous that people yeah, can see. Yeah. You know, when I think about quilting, I think about like the AIDS quilt that was so huge in the 70s. Did the did the guild get involved in that at all, like making pieces for that? Some individual members did. I helped with a couple panels mm -hmm. back then. That was, that was a really interesting... Um, national, you know, national, regional and national. It was a phenomenon. It I really think. was amazing. And, and, uh, I think it meant a lot to a lot of people, yes. you know, it took the quilt out of the home and, and, mm -hmm. and made it, it, I mean, I think it was on the park strip. Parts of it were, yes. it was really, really a fascinating. Yeah. Uh, have you ever known of any other projects like that, that were of kind of a national or even a global scale? Not of that magnitude. Yeah. I yeah. think it's really unique. It was really amazing. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Um, I want to, oh, I think people can, there are workshops at the, at the Great Alaska Quilt Show. Are there any workshops for people that day or any introductions to quilting? I there'll be people there that are doing some demonstrations, um, and there's been talk about um, um, some of the groups, the little individual satellite groups that we have having displays of things that they've worked on there as well, and there'll be members wandering around talking to people and so, showing, yeah. and and uh, we can talk about any of the quilts that are there and the techniques yes. and those things. And by the way, the, the quilts are unjuried. It's not like this was a competition. That's, That's that, right. That's an, an that sets your... your quilt show apart. Um, mm -hmm. But we are running out of time. And so I, I want to say thank you to Peggy Brewer, the current president of the Anchorage Log Cabin Quilters, mm -hmm. and Pat Sims, who was a charter member and has been involved since 1979. Uh, I bet you're both going to be at the show, which let's remind people it's September 17 and 18 at the United Methodist Church on 9th Avenue. United and Methodist Church on 9th, near where it used to be in the ConocoPhillips building. Right. So it's not far away. So. That's right. Yeah, and it's free to go, and the parking is free. Yes, there's a parking lot right there, and it's free. And also on the streets downtown on the weekends, then parking yeah. is free. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to take a tiny break, and we're going to bring two more quilters to, to tell us a little bit more about, you know, the service aspect of the Guild. Lynn Seitz is going to be here to talk to us about that. And I'm going to welcome Sheila Toomey, who I knew for years at the Anchorage Daily News, who's now a quilter, and she's going to join us. And we'll do uh, another couple of interviews with those folks. But thank you so much, Peggy, and thank you, Pat. And we'll be right thank back. You. Thank you. You're listening to Hometown Alaska. I'm your host, Kathleen McCoy.
Welcome back to Hometown Alaska. I'm your host, Kathleen McCoy. Now, in the first half, we met two quilters from the Anchorage Log Cabin Quilters. I want to say thanks again to Peggy Brewer and Pat Sims. And we have two more quilters. Uh, I promised that we were going to meet quilters. We're going to meet two more. And they bring something different to the club, so we'll, we'll learn more about that. I want to welcome Lynn Seitz. Welcome to Hometown Alaska, Lynn. Thank you. And I know that you are very involved in a, a certain aspect, which is where do the donated quilts go? So we're going to talk a lot about that. And I also want to welcome Sheila Toomey. Sheila and I go way back to ADN when Sheila was covering grisly murders and courtroom <laughs> drama. And and I was writing feature stories. And uh, she was across the newsroom. And she was always a hub of energy. And now I know she's a hub of energy here. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to start with a question for Sheila, actually, is which, how do you go from covering, you know, grisly murders <laughs> and courtroom trials to quilting? Uh, maybe that was always a part of how you yeah. Stage scene. That's, uh, that's <laughs> exactly to right. Alaska, I didn't go from one to the other. Um, I I needed both of them. I I had a very um, uh, tense job. You know, a difficult job, high pressure job. You high know pressure. That. Yeah. 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 I lived on a daily deadline for like thirty five years. Um, and when I got home, which was often eight or nine o'clock at night, um, I I needed. I needed to do something that that was very different, and I had started quilting the way a lot of people start. My mother taught me to sew when I was young. We didn't have a lot of money, and my mother um, had to make the things like curtains and and you know sip covers and things like that. And I got interested, and so she taught me how to sew, and I made clothes. And then that's how you do. A lot of people come to quilting, graduating from sewing, because you've just got the fabric there, you know, and you've got some left over. Um, So I got into quilting, and there was something uh, peaceful about it, something, um, if you did it right, if you if you, I always used a pattern until recently. Uh, if you cut it out right, you cut the fabric out right, and you you put it together, it doesn't look like anything at the beginning. But if you just follow the steps um, in, a, in a calm and peaceful way, <laughs> you end up with something amazing sometimes. And it's mm-hmm. certainly amazing to me when I was a beginner. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I did that. As a reporter, when I got home at night, I very often, several nights a week, I would just sit and sew. It closes down one side of your mind and opens up the other side. Yeah, exactly. And and it quiets those thoughts about, oh, did I make a mistake in the story? I mean, that was the thing that would drive every reporter crazy. (laughs) Did I check the spelling on that name? But you just have to shut that part of your brain out and and you're, you're just using something else. So that was kind of your strategy for getting through that. Yeah. Plus the fact that the Daily News at the time, there was a whole lot of um, people young, younger than me um, who were having babies. And so I had an outlet. I, I became, I became a quilter. woman who wrote grisly murder stories and made baby quilts. <laughs> the two sides of Sheila Toomey's brain. But anyway, that's so great. Well, you know, just for the listeners, Sheila came to me and said, I'm in this log cabin quilters and I think they'd make a great show. And I thought, I've ne- we've never had them on Hometown. Why not? Why don't yeah. we? And it turned out, actually, that, that they have a show coming up and the timing was really good. So just for the folks who may not have heard it, they have a, a quilt show, the Great Alaska Quilt Show on S- September 17th and 18th, this weekend, this weekend, all day. And it's in a new location. They've tra- 
traditionally had it at the ConocoPhillips building, but now they are going to have it very near there at the United Methodist Church on 9th and H. It's right on the park strip. Right and on the park strip. It's, admission is free. Parking is free. And it's a great show. Um, for one thing, it will um, it will show you a progression because it's got people like me in it who really I I'm not an artist I have aspirations dreams and fantasies but I'm <laughs> I'm not not a quilt artist so we go from people who are just starters beginners in the quilting all the way through um, people who are international fabric artists so you can see this all at the show the whole range is there it's and, not like um, going to a comp a competitive quilting show it is an inclusive quilting. Right. Right. Show. And it's not a show where things where the quilts main quilts are for sale. This is this is an exhibition like uh, like I was going to say at a museum, but yeah. you know at mm -hmm. a gallery. Mm -hmm. um, we have we have small quilts. Um, a, a, a silent auction for little quilts that are kind of fun things that our members make and are encouraged to use their wildest imagination to put them together. And mm -hmm. they're they're kind of a, a, a fundraiser type of thing. But mm -hmm. but. People who come to these shows love to get those. I've got a couple of them hanging on my walls at home just for fun. Mm -hmm. So really, if you just want to take a look at the Guild and sort of see what it's about, coming to the show would be a really good idea because you can see where beginners begin because mm -hmm. there's beginner quilts in the show, all the way to people who have evolved into really fine artists uh, right. with their quilts. Mm -hmm. So, And it's a free show, free parking. And the other aspect that we really want to get into here is a little bit about the service that the Anchorage Log Cabin Quilters are engaged in. I was amazed how much I found out on your website. And I'm going to turn to Lynn Seitz, who worries a lot about these things and figures out where the quilts should go. So Lynn, tell us, you know, what are some of the organizations that you try to give quilts to? Well, first of all, we're open to new organizations all the time. Um, if you have a nonprofit and you think that you could benefit through quilts, we would love to hear from you. Our website's a good way to contact us. But currently, we donate to many organizations. If uh, a group wants to have an auction quilt, we kind of save out some of those more special ones. It's a fundraiser for their organization, so you might give them, donate to them a, a, a very well-done quilt that they could actually raffle off. Correct. Um, we've donated to TBA Theater, uh, Friends of Alaska Casa, Catholic Social Services, Hope Community Resources, the Children's Place, uh, American Heart Association, the local chapter, American Cancer Society, all kinds of places like that, and they use it. They use the money for their missions, okay. and so they can benefit that way. But more often than not, those groups are supplying charity quilts, our quilts, our comfort quilts, to their clients. And that can be for the very young, and it can also be for the very old. And those groups would be places like the Anchorage School District's Child in Transition, Clare House, Hospice of Anchorage, uh, Providence Hospice, we also give to Providence Spiritual Care, Covenant House, 4As, AWAC, uh, Alaska Child and Family, lots of groups, lots of variety of ages. We have a huge variety of sizes, things for babies or, or people that are in wheelchairs. It needs to be relatively small to not get caught in any wheels. Right. But we also provide more family size quilts, too. Right. I, this is from your website, and I just thought it was really great. It says, comfort quilts, that's what we're talking about, comfort yes. quilts, are works of love and concern, not aspiring to be works of art. They could be called opportunity quilts because making them gives 
our members a chance to try out new methods, fabric and color combinations, and un and unusual ideas. And you also list the different sizes. I mean, this guild members make over 100 quilts annually and give them to community agencies that serve the elderly, the ill, the poor, the homeless, and others who are in need of warmth and comfort. And I'd like to make one correction there. Um, I guess we need to update our website because the last two years we've given 275 Oh, my goodness. Okay, that's a bit of the Anchorage community. Okay. Yeah. Um, in that includes the auction quilts as well as those that go directly to clients. Yeah. So, and I, this also, teenage new mothers need baby wraps. Absolutely. Right? Especially with big, bright colors and patterns. Elderly nursing home patients who may be in wheelchairs need smaller lap size covers that aren't too big to handle and won't drag on the floor. So right. it's just um, very heartfelt, the, this, these comfort quilts. Mm -hmm. I also love the name of the comfort quilts. Does everybody in the guild contribute? I think, I think maybe Peggy told us about work sessions that are specifically for comfort quilts. That's correct. Um, our members, first and foremost, quilt for themselves. They quilt for family. They love to share. And because they are loving and because they are sharing, they love charity, too. And so we can help people in our community with quilts. And so they often don't stop there. Then they want to help by doing a favorite part of the quilt. If they like making tops, they can help us by doing that. If they have a long-arm quilting machine at home, they may help us that way. Some people prefer handwork, and so they'll be doing binding, putting the edges on the quilt. So you do what you want, and it's a pass-along kind of effect. We do meet the fifth Thursday of the month for comfort quilts, and we work together, but there's a lot of take-home work. We wouldn't produce, wouldn't be able to produce 275 quilts a year if we didn't have take-home work. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a question you often ask writers, like, well, when do you, when do, you do your work? you know, what is your creative? And I want to ask these two quilters in front of me, Sheila and Lynn, when do you quilt? Sheila, you were doing it at night to, to relieve yourself from your high pressure I job. I was, yeah. But now, well, now, now that I'm retired, um, uh, I basically, um, whenever you I, want, I, I, I was trying to think of a, a way to say that as people ask me now, you know, Oh, now that you're retired, what do you do? And my answer is always, Oh, whatever I want. Um, yes. and I would say that I, um, I, I sit down, you know, like after, probably after lunch as opposed to after breakfast, uh, a couple of days a week. And um, I like to sew, once I get into it, I like to sew in long stretches. Um, also, um, I, I save the binding. I, I think like most people, I have a pile of what we call UFOs. Unidentified objects, which means quilts that I started, some of them, um, I found recently a pile of them. I don't want to tell you how long ago they're from um but a lot of them they just they just need the binding they've been um irene o'brien who's my long arm quilter a fabulous artist um has done all her work and given them back to me and i just have not gotten around to doing the binding which i think most quilters considered a chore i don't know oh but what there are some you? that just love it yeah. um some some quilters they they do all their home things their own things and then the one thing that they will do for me is binding. Wow! So is that just the depends. edging? That's, That's the, the edging, edging part. And yeah. so do you take bias tape or how do you do it? Could you do many different ways? Um, just cutting strips of fabric and attaching it to the outside. Some people attach it with a machine. 
because they think it's more efficient. And some people love that slow, steady handwork. Mm-hmm. Handwork. Can't watch TV without having something in front of mm-hmm. me. And mm-hmm. so that's yeah. exactly it depends. It. Yeah, that's that's when I do my binding. That's what I've been doing lately. Is, watch TV is, and do is, your is, binding. Uh, watching reruns and doing binding on UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, Linda? How did you get started in quilting? Um, I retired because I never had time before that. I knew how to sew. But I didn't know anything about quilting. So when you're retired and you're home during the day and you still have all those people that work, you don't you need some new people. Right. In fact, we had a recent person who came and joined us. Um, I think she's going to join our guild, but she came for the first time. And her statement was, I've found my people. <laughs> and it is. It's like you. Wow, this is my family. These people all love the same things I do. They want the same things they they find the same challenges here, the same interests. And so I did that. I retired. I came to one of the meetings. And those ladies were real nice. And they <laughs> they said, oh, Sheila has said that to me you, several you times. You bring your so quilt. Nice. And they all say nice things about it. And they clap when you, when you show your quilt. And I thought, this sounds great. And I gave them $25. And I signed my little thing. Um, and I became a member. And, and now you're president. Uh, well, no, no, I'm not president, <laughs> but I am head of comfort quilts, and that's enough. That's, that's a big role. Given 275 quilts that you make a year and give away, that's incredible. It is. Well, I mean, like, that doesn't count the the stockings, right? The Christmas oh, stockings. Oh, that doesn't count the. Any yeah, of let's the talk other about things. there's a gazillion couple, Christmas stockings. There's a couple other projects. There's the the teddy bears, and so mm-hmm. talk about the the what what about the stockings? The Christmas stockings. The stockings are done by the Knight Group, and they make a lovely stocking, and then they stuff them with little trinkets, toys, uh, treats, and those are given to different organizations, nonprofits in to, Anchorage. To, for children. Yes, for children. Yeah. And uh, then the, the teddy bear quilting project, tell me about that. That is the same kind of thing where you get a bunch of people that think, wow, I've got this one little square left over. I wonder what I'll do with that. I will make that into a small quilt. quilt. I'll pair it with a little penguin and they wrap them up. And again, we're looking for nonprofits in the Anchorage area that think that would be wonderful for our group. I'm going to go to their website and I'm going to find out how to contact them because we could we could do great with a couple dozen of these little teddy bears and quilts. Yeah. So do you have any idea how many stockings and how many teddy bear quilts you make? Stockings, I'm not sure. The teddy bear quilts, I know that was over 300 this year. Oh, my goodness. So you guys get the job done. We do. Well, and, and, and think about the, the think about the people who, who get these. Um, one of the, the failings, I think, is that uh, we don't get to meet, you generally, we don't get to meet the people who actually get our that quilts. That is true. We give them to the organization, and the organization you know, respects privacy, and they're not going to tell us the names of the people who get right. them. But um, think, about, think about a child who's, who is involved with one of these agencies. That means that child and that family is in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, they are having some kind of problem that's serious enough that they're in a shelter somewhere or, um, you know, having to go to treatment somewhere. They're in the hospital. Um, somebody shows up with a colorful, handmade quilt. It, it doesn't 
they already have blankets. They don't need to be warm, right? Mm -hmm. Most likely. Um, but there's, it's something about that. I, I've talked to somebody who gave them out and she tried to express to me how, the, how the people just kind of light up and, and they, they cuddle it, with it, it. Mm -hmm. um, because it represents warmth to them. And, and she loves giving them out. Mm -hmm. And I, it's sort of a, a shame that we don't get to give some of them out you ourselves. You have to pour it all into the quilt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, you have to, if it's, if it's for a child, you're a Imagining what would make a child happy, yeah. or if it's for an elderly person, what would be soft and comforting for them. So you build it into the quilt, but you don't ever get to meet the recipient. Normally, in yeah. our in yeah. our private lives, we do. I mean, sure. we the thing to understand is that w this organization we do a lot of charity work, but um, I think most people are drawn to it because they're doing their own quilting and they love it, and that's that's um, and they want to share it. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. It, it can't stop at their doorstep. Right. It's got to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And she's right. The, the, com the comfort quilts that we do can go to somebody. We have a, a couple of groups where they deal with teens. And when the, the teen comes, you are given a quilt. And it shows that somebody cares. Plus, it is something in your room every day. You're away from home. You have the quilt. And when you finally leave, what right. do you have? You have something to take home. It's and yours. It's, it's a reminder of the progress that you made in the place that you were at for that period of time. And it might not have been a great situation, but you made it through. And here's your quilt to prove you were there. You did it. It's a success. Yeah, that's 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 pretty amazing. Um, you did say that you are open to other groups in town that might need quilts. Absolutely. And always just want to say that you can easily find uh, contact information on the Anchorage Log Cabin Quilters blog. It's easy to find. I found it. Just Google okay. Anchorage, not Alaska, Anchorage Log Cabin Quilters. There's contact information there. We'll also put it on Alaska Public Media on our hometown webpage oh, for thank folks. You. Yeah. So I'm trying to think. Um we have a couple more minutes. I'm looking for, I don't know, what, what haven't we covered? Well, I mean, I would like to mention something. I don't know what we can do about it. But the way <laughs> I got started in quilting, the way a lot of people got started was your mother taught you or your grandmother taught you, a lot of people's grandmothers. Mm -hmm. um, my question is, how many, how many mothers today sew? at home, have a sewing machine, and, and make clothes. Who makes clothes anymore? My mother had to make our clothes. Um, so who's teaching the children to sew, the children who will grow up and become quilters? Hmm. Um, and, it makes me and wonder. That actually worries me a little. makes me wonder whether there's an avenue there for, for the log cabin quilters. In other words, an introductory class for young, you know, really, I mean, elementary or high school kids, you know, mm -hmm. sort of to learn, to, to sort of reel idea. them in yeah. and get them started. I don't know if there's home ec anymore. I, I have no idea. Um, some of those skills that are so useful in life have fallen by the wayside in mm -hmm. favor of yes. computers and right. whatever else uh, exactly. people need. But um, that's a, that's a good question. And maybe if anybody has an answer or thoughts about it, um, you can you can reach out to the log cabin quilters. Maybe mm -hmm. there is somebody that's actually trying to do some teaching, and you guys would want to know about it. Well, right. there are young people. If you, I follow some on Instagram. The the ones that the quilters that I follow on Instagram, they are not sixty years old. Those women look like they're twenty to thirty years oh, old. Yeah, and so it's not like it's a dying art. You just we're older. We don't see how people learn how to sew. Um, I'm pretty sure that having grandchildren close to me is going to be their ticket. Their mother also sews. She's in her 30s. Yeah. So it so, isn't a, 
a thing that is dying, but it's people are learning about it in different, in different ways way. than we did in previous yeah. generations. Yeah. yeah, it persists. It does. <laughs> it does. Well, it's it's started. Well, it started in Western Europe in the Middle Ages. Yeah, um, you know, and here we are here in we the are. chaos of 2022, and we right. still have quilts to to show. So, I want to remind folks of our uh, your show on Saturday and Sunday, September 17 and 18. It's all day, like I don't know, 10 to 6 or something like that, right? It's a long day. It is, and 10 to 4. Okay, and it's at um, on the Park Strip at 9th and H. Free admission. More than a hundred quilts made by this guild, just to see, just to look. At. They haven't yeah. been ranked. They're just up from no. beginners to experienced people. There's the chance to um, have a silent auction for 50 small quilts. And there's one spectacular big quilt that you can buy a, a, a ticket for a raffle. So that's mm -hmm. all going on uh, this weekend. And, you know, we're out of time, but I want to thank our guest today, uh, Peggy Brewer. She's the president of this guild right now. Pat Sims is a charter member. They were on in the first half of the show. And here on the second half, Lynn Seitz and Sheila Toomey. So you guys are just awesome and you do such good work. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on Hometown, just to share your message and share what you're doing to make Anchorage a good place to live. Well, thank you, Kathleen. We really appreciate it's it. A pleasure. Thank you it's very pleasure, much. Pleasure having you. Thank you. And this is Hometown Alaska. I'm your host, Kathleen McCoy. After a short break, we'll be right back with State of Art. State of Art on Hometown Alaska, your weekly dose of Anchorage Arts and Culture. I'm Ammon Swenson. Coming up, I speak with artist Scott Clendaniel. He combines his love of the outdoors, beer, and a lighthearted approach to his Alaska-themed paintings. When scanning through his collection of work, you might find X-Wings from Star Wars flying over Denali, an octopus hitting up some fresh powder on skis, or local beers in the foreground of an epic landscape. His work is currently on display at Turnigan Brewing until early October. He splits his time between Anchorage and his cabin in McCarthy. I have always found inspiration in the Wrangell Mountains and the, and the nature that surrounds them. The animals, the birds, the trees, uh, the culture, the wild nightlife drinking culture here is pretty fun too. I don't get out as much as I did when I was a decade younger, but um, I still enjoy going down to the, the Golden Saloon or the Potato Restaurant and participating in that kind of stuff. But the mountains and the glaciers and the trees, they, they energize me. They give me inspiration. They, they power up my creative engine that fuels my artwork. So, you know, looking at your work and, you know, Alaska and being outdoors being a major kind of aspect to your painting or inspiration, how do you spend your personal time outside and do you kind of bring the paints along for any adventures you might be on? Last winter, Maria and I went to five different ski areas and I brought my painting kit uh, with me and I painted at all five ski areas, which was challenging and very exciting. I did enjoy the process most of the time sitting on the side of the mountain after skiing. I probably get about 10,000 vertical feet in and find and go ski all over the mountain find the best spot for where I wanted to 
sit and paint for 45 minutes. Mm. And there were little tiny paintings or five inch by seven inch paintings that I was making up on the mountain. And then, you know, then you're just, you feel celebratory once you've gotten that little bit of work done, even if it isn't really monumental or, you know, ground shattering, earth shattering type of work. It's just something that's kind of cool to have done and to have actually tried to do something creative out in this, out on the ski mountain. But I, you know, I do all kinds of things out in the outside. I'm here in McCarthy, I used to just work in this tent and I did, I don't know how many paintings just outside in this little screened tent with a tarp over the top of it. I had a wooden floor, which was nice. So at least I felt like I was out of the, if it was raining really hard, I wasn't getting swamped. <laughs> But that was, you know, I like working outside. I like the fresh air. I like, I like to have natural light surrounding me. And all of that really is, is positive for the creative process. Just kind of scanning through the work and stuff on your website and like in your Etsy shop and stuff, you know, there's, there's kind of like a childlike whimsy to it. I'm thinking like specifically some examples where like, you know, X-Wings from Star Wars kind of soaring over some mountains, uh, skiing octopi. A uh, drunk bear who got into a cooler of Rainier beer. Not that all of your work is totally like that, but there does seem to be a major sense of play in your work. Can you kind of talk about that a little? I like to keep it on the light side. I never, I, n- I don't want people to walk away feeling worse about <laughs> the world, even though, you know, looking forward on this to the, the way the planet is going, I do feel concerned. And I have especially I'm concerned with the huge homeless population we have, but I haven't figured out a way to process that in a way or, or, you know, make artwork that can fix those problems in a way that wouldn't, that won't, will make people feel better. So my, my goal is to make people happy and to improve their experience and to improve the aesthetic things in their life. So like when they look at their, I want to make attractive wall hangings when I'm making paintings. I don't want someone to look at that and be like, man, that is just so dreary and depressing i want them to look at it and be oh wow i feel better about my living space i feel better about my office or wherever it's hanging i want them to be uh, invigorated i want them to be stimulated i want them to also just have the, the room feel better when they are there and experiencing it can we talk just a little bit about kind of a reoccurring theme in your paintings which is beer often in various Alaska scenes, maybe you'll do some abstracts that kind of incorporate a beer theme, even like specific brands and different scenarios. So what's the fascination with kind of beer in the kind of natural Alaska environment? Ah, well, in 2006, maybe it was 2005, I started to work at the homebrew shop with my good friends, Pete and Lisa, they weren't really my good friends then, they were in my employers, but I was doing some sticker business with them and I we were drinking some homebrew that I had made. And they're like, we need another employee at the shop. Wouldn't that be great? I'm like, well, I could do it. Let me be your employee. So then I, I did, I went and I worked there for several months and I learned everything beer from those guys. And like, it was like beer, 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 beer for breakfast, beer all day, learn beer sip on beer, drink this nasty beer. It's got some kind of contamination. And what is that contamination? How do you make mead? How do you make wine? And I was, was like overwhelming how much alcohol was in my life at that time period. And I was like, I need to step back and make some more artwork. I haven't been doing anything but brewing and production of alcohol. I need to like think about where my life is going and what I'm doing. So I stopped and I quit working there. And the first thing I did was I made a series of 10 paintings called The Color of Beer. 
And that was in 2006. And I hung the show at Noble's Diner. And before I even hung the show, I had to put all of the stuff on a cute little card and had all the beers on one card. And I'd sold two of the sold two of the painting before I even hung the show. And then after the show is over, I just went over to Midnight Sun and I sold the rest of them like just like that. I mean, every single painting was sold. And I was like, wow, that's a sold out show. I don't normally have that much success selling paintings. That was after I worked at Arctic Circle Enterprises making Alaskan uh, souvenir products. So I'd already been working as an artist. And so then I was like, well, let's do that again. And I made the 99 bottles of beer on the wall. The 99 bottles of beer on the wall was a really fun show, but we kind of held it back until all of them were done. So I just made a huge body of work. And then that was when it was a huge transition from where my artwork was kind of just breaking even. And I was, you know, making a couple thousand dollars a year to when my wife joined my joined working with me as my business partner. And she took over all the business end and she also quit her job working for the Alaska Tourism Industry Association. And she marketed the beer paintings like crazy. And I'd sold 60% of them before I even hung the show at Midnight Sun Brewing Company. So beer art's good for me because it's, it's lucrative and it's true to me because I, you know, I, I love it. I, I'm a home brewer. I still make beer. I, I think beer is an incredible alcoholic beverage because it's not as strong as whiskey or wine. I feel like it gets, it's second rate in, in people's minds to like champagne or whiskey or, uh, you know, cognac. And I wanted to elevate it to the same level as, you know, the more premium beverages. And now that it kind of has happened, you know, now you're seeing people selling these beers on the secondary market. Some of these fancy barley wines are selling for, you know, $500 to thousand dollars a bottle. And you're like, wow, that's, it has, it has reached the, you know, it has reached that level. And I was, I'm, I think that I'm, I'm not sure if I'm, you know, I'm not definitely not instrumental in the region, but I'd like to say I played a small part in helping bring beer to that level. And that was as the beer artist, I want to document beer. I want to put it out there into the world and put it in a positive light. And, you know, and even though I've done the Rainier Bear, which is totally an alcoholic looking bear, I don't want to promote the, the negative aspects of alcohol. I want to show it as the thing that it can be, the joy that it can bring to people's lives. And I know people have problems with alcohol and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make anyone feel bad or, you know, make them have negative thoughts. I guess I'm running around in circles now about this one, but I, I basically, I just really like making beer paintings. So that's why I do it. Totally. And the backgrounds are super fun. I like to put different things in the background. And that was, I mean, an Alaskan, an Alaskan artist, how often do you get to, because when I did the year of beer, that was in 2014, I made a beer painting every day for a year. And I just, you know, made beer paintings from all over the country, all over the world. And I'd always try to pair in the background something that would fit that specific beer. So I got to paint stuff like, you know, hummingbirds and elephants and just a little bit of everything. And that was really fun because Alaska artists pretty much get to paint Denali. We get to paint moose, bear, tree, eagle. You know, that's maybe a whale if you're lucky. I was able to do something that was completely different than what I would have to do just trying to fit into the Alaska market. And the other thing is the beer is something I do sell across the country. So it's it has brought my artwork to more people. In fact, I just sold a painting this morning to a person in Virginia. So I'm nice. very, very excited to see another original painting from that 2014 group go to a good home in Virginia. 
Awesome. Um, anything coming up in the near future that you'd want to talk about that you're doing? I know you've currently got a show at Turnigan Brewing for the this month, but uh, anything in addition to that coming up or happening for you? Let's see. Well, I have the show at Turnigan Brewing. I'm very happy to have that there. It's I'm, I've, That one's pretty much themed skiing. Uh, because the Arctic Valley crew is rolling through there every Wednesday. That's the the Anchorage Ski Club mm. uh, goes there on Wednesdays because uh, the president of the ski club has his food truck there on Wednesdays and everyone's going there. So I was like, well, let's put the ski paintings there. But let's see what's very exciting is I'm going to go build a large sculpture on the bank of the Kennecott River. And it's for this event called the Burn Dude. And <laughs> Burn Dude is a uh, takeoff of Burning Man. And so we build a we build a large wooden sculpture of a dude and, and then we burn it. Uh, and it's a really fun thing. It's normally about 15 feet tall. It normally burns for about 45 minutes. And there's normally about 50 to 100 people that show up to this event. And I get to design and build the burning dude or the burn, the, the burn of the dude. <laughs> and this year we're building a a structure that resembles the Kennecott Mill building, and then the dude will be smaller and perched atop <laughs> the building, kind of like the Burning Dude Temple. And <laughs> the reason I chose the mill building is because, well, they talked about burning it down in the 60s, but also, which would have been crazy big fire, it's 14 <laughs> stories tall, um, the, it's because it's so toxic. I want people to burn I want people to, when they're, when this thing is burning, I want them to think of all of the negative things in their lives, all of the negative things that are out there in the world to just let them go away from their, uh, from their environment, from their mindset. I want to purge. And that is why we're going to burn a image of the mill building on Friday. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's the most exciting thing that's happening. <laughs> Well, um, I guess the very final thing, you know, if people want to stay up to date with your work, purchase your work, just kind of see what you've been up to, what's the best way to uh, find you online? The best way to find me is at Real Art is Better on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We have a Redbubble shop and we have an Etsy store. I'm also at Dos Manos Gallery and anybody can call me and visit the studio and meet with me in person. Realartisbetter.com is a great way to, it's a great landing page. It'll take you to all of those avenues. Well, awesome. Anything else you want to add really quick? Um, yes. I would like to say real art is better is my tagline. I stand by that. <laughs> I always want to make real art and I, and I, I want to make it better. And, and people ask me what real art is. I always tell them, you'll know it when you see it. That was my conversation with artist Scott Clendaniel. His work is currently on display at Turnigan Brewing until October 6th. And that's all for State of Art. I'm Ammon Swenson. We're all out of time. I'd sure like to thank Peggy Brewer, Pat Sims, Lynn Seitz, and Sheila Toomey, all quilters with the Anchorage Log Cabin Quilters. And of course, I'd like to thank our listeners. This is Kathleen McCoy. Find us on the web at alaskapublic.org. Ammon Swenson produced our program. Thanks for joining us today on Hometown Alaska. Hometown Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and do not reflect the underwriters or KSKA. Hometown Alaska's theme song, Lead Dog, is by Kevin Barnett from Eagle River. Learn more about Hometown Alaska and listen online at alaskapublic.org. Life informed. This is Alaska Public Media.